Good morning. Our uh, sermon text this morning is Psalm 103. We're going to be looking at uh, the attribute of God that is his love. But you will probably hear some echoes of past sermons as well, uh, because as Chris said last week, uh, you can't really talk about these in isolation. They're all, they're all part of God in a divided way. So let's read Psalm 103. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Yahweh works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Yahweh is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless Yahweh, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless Yahweh, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless Yahweh, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you have lavished your love on your people from generation to generation. Help us see this morning uh, that you lavish it on us as well, and help us to understand what that means. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm not a very good gift giver. I try, but my natural inclination is to buy something that is practical something that's useful, something that we already need. My wife's smiling over there. It doesn't always make my wife feel particularly loved. She appreciates the effort I put into thinking of and buying gifts for her, so there's always a baseline of gratitude. But when I give her a gift, she doesn't know how thankful she should be. <laughs> should she be really thankful because I heard what she was asking for? 
Or should she be a little less thankful because I got her her own respirator mask so she can help me vacuum out insulation? <laughs> Again, my wife is thankful for the effort I put in, but there's always a level of uncertainty. We don't know how thankful to be until we understand the gift we're receiving. This is also true of how we understand God. We know that God is great and we know that God is good, so we have a baseline of respect and reverence. But when we hear that God is love, it raises questions. Before we know how to respond, before we know how thankful we should be, we need to understand what God's love is like. In Psalm 103, the psalmist tells us about God's love. He realizes that we can't adequately praise God unless we know what God is like. So he tells us that God is full of steadfast love. The Hebrew word he uses is hesed, and it's probably one of the most important Hebrew words for us to remember. It's so important because it doesn't have a precise translation and because it's part of the name that God uses to describe himself. Let's look briefly at Exodus 34, the story of God appearing to Moses and making a covenant with Israel. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him, with Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed and faithfulness, keeping hesed for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. God can introduce himself any way he wants. We've heard about many of his attributes, but when he reveals himself to Moses to make a covenant with Israel, how does he introduce himself? Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in hesed and faithfulness. This same description is used several other times to speak about God, including in verse 8 of our text. Yahweh is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in hesed. But what kind of news is this? Is this good news for us or mediocre news? What exactly is hesed? Let's take a look at three things that the psalmist tells us about God's love, his hesed. The first thing worth noting is that God's hesed is unreasonably personal. As a seminarian and theology nerd, I try to keep up with the state of modern apologetics. So I read some atheist rants and arguments. Here's the tweet that is pinned to the top of the Atheist Forum Twitter account. Christianity is the belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, a light year being approximately 6 trillion miles, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. LOL. Obviously, the Atheist Forum tweeted this derisively, 
expecting everyone to read and conclude that Christianity is absolutely absurd. But this is exactly what the psalmist is saying in our text. Man is like dust. Our lives are flashes in the pan. We last as long as the dandelion season. On the other hand, God is enormous. God is eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, holy. The psalmist writes, Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Those 200 billion galaxies, each with 200 billion stars, God rules each one. Human beings are not worthy of God's attention. We do not deserve to have God's love. The psalmist would get along swimmingly with the folks over at the Atheist Forum Twitter account. They both think it's absurd that God would love us. Except that's not where the psalmist ends. Because despite how unreasonable it is, the psalmist knows that God does love us. The question isn't, how could you think that God would love you? The question is, what kind of God must this be that he would love us? What sets those questions apart? What is it the psalmist knows that the atheist forum doesn't know? The psalmist knows about the history of God's covenant. He made, way his known, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The most bizarre texts in all of Scripture are not the supernatural acts, like the ten plagues. They're the moments where God descends to interact with human beings. When he walks with them in the garden, when he calls Abraham and later makes a covenant with him, when he makes a covenant with Moses and Israel at Mount Sinai, for no reason that we can understand, God chooses to love humans. God makes a covenant with us and tells us why. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God. God chooses to take a people for himself, to be their God, and to make his hesed known to them. He gives them his name. We can't miss this. When God made himself known to Moses, he did not do so in an impersonal way. The God of all the galaxies told Moses his name. Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In our Bibles, the name Yahweh is replaced with the title, The Lord, in capital letters. This is a sign of respect that goes back thousands of years, but we've changed it back in our worship folder this morning. I want us to remember that God gave us his name in a move that the Atheist Forum cannot understand. God introduced himself to us in a personal way so that we could be his people and he could be our God. God knows you by name and he wants you to know him by name. Look at verse 15 again. Man is like grass. We disappear in the wind and are forgotten. But why does, but, why does verse 17 begin with a contrasting word? Because the psalmist wants us to understand God's hesed against the backdrop of our frailty. See, humans are not naturally immortal, despite what Plato thought our souls are not made of divine essence. We are frail and mortal and disappear on our own. 
but, but the steadfast love of Yahweh to everlasting on those who fear him, the hesed of Yahweh. Brothers and sisters, this is where we get the promise of eternal life. It doesn't come from us. It comes from the hesed of Yahweh that will not let us go. He will love his people from eternity past to eternity future. But hesed isn't just unreasonably personal. In our culture, it's often very tempting to stop there. As though the gospel is simply that the God of the universe actually loves you just the way you are. But that's not the whole message, is it? A few weeks ago, my son finally grew to the point where he's able to reach things that we set on top of the table. It's a wonderful milestone. Except the first thing that he grabbed was the knife I had used to cut up his blueberries. Dada, cut. I'll tell you that you can watch the entire Olympics this year and you won't see someone cross 10 feet as quickly as I did. Why? Because I love him. Because I have hesed for him. His mind could not comprehend any reason why he shouldn't have a knife. But I cared about it, him so deeply that I snatched it out of his hand. Brothers and sisters, this is not something that's easy for us to hear. Individual autonomy is the foundation for our entire society. We're comfortable with an all-powerful God who loves us, one who knows better than us. We're happy that the creator of the universe loves us, but he'd better not tell us what to do. And we need to see how inconsistent that is. I only have a few decades on my son, but I absolutely know what is good for him better than he does. And when I tell him not to touch the stove, I am expressing my hesed. So how can we look to the creator of all, who rules galaxies and sees into the deepest part of our hearts and tell him to stay out of our business? The psalmist reminds us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear him. God doesn't love us in an impersonal, live and let live sort of way. God has hesed. God's love is like a father's love. God warns us away from things that will hurt us. He snatches knives out of our hands, and he tells us to respect him. God is our creator, the one who formed us out of the dust. He knows that the best thing for us is to live as he created us to live, in relationship to him, to live as Yahweh's people, serving Yahweh as our God. We might say that this hesed is inconsiderate. I think we all feel this way at times. In a way, it's true. We don't want to worship Yahweh. We want to sit on his throne. And God doesn't give us that. Hesed does not mean giving us whatever we want. God does not always relate to us in the way that we want him to. But he does relate to us in the way that is best for us. He calls us out of our sin. He calls us to live as his people. And that is why it is such good news that God remembers that we are dust. Because we need a love that is inconsiderate. We need a Father's love that knows our weaknesses and cares for us in ways that we don't want Him to. This is why it is so important to see about God's law. You might not understand why the psalmist brings it up in this psalm. You might think that we shouldn't be talking about God's law in a sermon about God's love. 
Because often when we think of God's law, we think of it as a series of hurdles that God sets up to test us. But that's not the way that Scripture talks about God's law. God's law is a picture for us, a picture of what it looks like to be truly human. God's law tells us how to be the people He created us to be. God doesn't command us to worship Him because He's vain. He commands it because the entire universe is set up to worship the true God. And we throw a wrench in the whole thing when we insist on worshiping other things. God doesn't command us to rest on the Sabbath because for some arbitrary reason. He tells us why. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath cycle is baked into creation itself. Violating it is no more an expression of my freedom than pouring motor oil on my breakfast cereal. Sin messes up creation, and it messes up us. And God calls us away from sin. He calls us to be people of truth instead of people of deceit, to be people of love instead of hate to be people satisfied by God instead of envious of others. Because that is how human beings thrive. That is what we need in order to flourish. We want to live selfishly, and God tells us that it is good for us to live selflessly. We want sexual liberty, and God tells us that sexual purity is better. We want to be enabled, but God gives us hesed. All right, so we've seen that God's hesed is unreasonably personal and that it calls us towards what is good for us. But when we look at Psalm 103, we see that the first thing the psalmist tells us about Yahweh has to do with the psalmist's sin. When the psalmist starts to list all the good things that Yahweh does, he starts with, he forgives all your iniquity. See, God revealed himself to Adam, to Abraham, to Moses, to Israel, but as we go through the Old Testament, a big problem starts to come into focus. The problem is that these people are not able to be the people God created them to be. We keep encountering new heroes, and they keep falling short. Abraham, the man of faith, whose trust in God was as consistent as a candle in a hurricane. Moses, who learned God's name and was still too intimidated to talk to Pharaoh. David, God's warrior poet whose sexual sins led to the destruction of the kingdom God gave. And we start to realize that we're not good people who occasionally sin. We're sinners who need to be saved. This is what the psalmist realizes. He doesn't need forgiveness for one sin. He needs forgiveness for all his iniquity. He doesn't need a little help to get over one issue. He's already in the grave and needs God to bring him back to life. So the good news, and the reason the psalmist writes this psalm, is that God's hesed is committed. God does not give up. God told Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. God told Moses, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
But Israel did not take Yahweh to be their God. They took Baal. They worshipped prosperity and served it with injustice. They worshipped themselves and did what was right in their own eyes. They were not the people of God. And yet, Yahweh did not turn away from them. He did not forget his covenant because he abounds in hesed. Yahweh called to them over and over. He pleaded with them to remember his covenant, to honor the vows that they made. He was a faithful husband begging his cheating wife to come home. But we did not repent. We did not want to be Yahweh's people. We chose destruction. And that's where we get to our sacred reading. God's hesed was so great that he was not willing to see us receive the destruction that we chose. In the first chapter of his gospel, John is explicit. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. When he came to them, the people of Yahweh rejected him. And yet, his hesed persisted. He gave his only son to die in our place so that we could be saved so that we could finally be Yahweh's people. He forgave our iniquity, and he rescued us from the pit, and he crowned us with hesed and mercy. Because hesed doesn't change. He wanted us to be his people back in Genesis, and here's what we read in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God made a covenant with Abraham that he would make a people for himself from Abraham's descendants, and he did. He took on the flesh of Abraham in the person of Jesus, and he grafted into that flesh all who believe in him. And he will return so that we can live together as Yahweh and the people of Yahweh, the creator of 200 billion galaxies, each with 200 billion stars, will live with us and wipe away our tears. Brothers and sisters, you and I are the recipients of the same hesed that God showed to Abraham. It hasn't failed in thousands of years, and it won't fail through all eternity. God's hesed is on his people from everlasting to everlasting. All right. So God's love for us is unreasonably personal. He calls us to be his people, and his love for us doesn't fail. All the way into the grave and back out. What kind of gift is this? Is this the kind of gift that deserves a polite thank you and a hug? Or is this the kind of gift where the only appropriate response is to lose control in absolute joy? The psalmist comes down pretty firmly in the latter camp. He begins the psalm without compromise. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Don't just think about Yahweh's goodness. Don't just bless him with your mouth. Bless him with all that is within me. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look forward to praising God. Get excited about worshiping together with his people. No half measures. And the psalmist ends his psalm even more emphatically. 
After describing the way that God loves us, the psalmist calls on all of creation to praise God. Angels, heavenly beings, us, and all of creation. Bless Yahweh. I think we skip over these lines because they seem very obvious. Even in this sermon, I spent most of my time expounding on the character of God. And it is very important that we understand it. But we can't miss that the psalmist opens and closes the psalm with instructions to bless the Lord. John, Calvin's point, John Calvin points out that he wouldn't have to do that if our natural state was to be appropriately praising God. Rather, it's a reminder that we can, we may even be inclined, to understand God and who he is without responding in appropriate praise. Our natural bent is corrupt. It's facing in, inward, and it does not want to bless Yahweh. Each week we hear about God, about what he has done in Christ, about the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we're often only politely thankful. We see the table laid out, offering us Christ's body, and our thoughts drift to the Packers or to our dinner plans. Brothers and sisters, as we consider the incredible hesed of God, let's respond in praise. Let's respond by praising God with everything in us. Let's respond appropriately to the incredible gift we have received. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have shown Hesed to us, generation after generation after generation. You have called us here to be your people, and we are so thankful. Help us to praise you. Help us to understand who you are in a way that calls forth our entire beings in worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.